Well, good morning, Dorisville. Isn't it a good day to be in the house of the Lord or what? I Go ahead and clap. Yeah, I'm telling you, I am just really, really grateful today for the worship time. I know what God's laid on my heart to tell you and the way the scripture speaks. And when we sang in Christ alone, that was, I'm going to told you, I never said, Judy, I just, this is why I really appreciate Dave as worship leader because that song was like so perfect. And the song Cheryl just sang, what a strange way to save the world. What a perfect song for what we've been sharing over the last couple of weeks and what I want to share today. If you're going to crack your Bibles over to the book of Isaiah, you can go ahead and do that. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And the sermon title this morning is, it's all I want for Christmas. And the I there is going to stand for a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah. And we're going to see how, how Isaiah describes what God had in mind for Christmas. And of course, we're in a series of, this is our third week of Christmas, His Story. Capital H-I-S-T-R-O-I, small. And really, that's what Christmas is. It's the story of God's redemption for this world that was so broken. And we learned that in week number one in Genesis chapter three, when everything was so perfect and so right, and Satan comes along and tempts Adam and Eve, and they had the opportunity to do what was right, and they chose to do what is wrong. And that is the time of rebellion. It wasn't about eating a piece of fruit. It was about rebellion. And they rebelled against God. They said no God, and they said yes to themselves. And that, that flash of time, in that moment of time, the world became broken. And in that broken world, we, we, have, we have a now what was fellowship with God broken, and a gap exists. We had relationship with God, and that became a gap instead. All the things that you despise and hate, all the things you say, why did God allow? God didn't allow. He had it right the first time. He had perfect. It's a product of the sinful world we live in. Divorce and, and, and sickness and cancer and death and child abuse. All these different things have come in this world because we live in a sinful world. God could have walked away. God could have walked away and left Adam and Eve just sitting there in their sin. But instead, he made a promise. He said, one day, one is coming. One is coming. And that one is going to, A, Satan is going to be allowed to bruise his heel. And that happened on Calvary's cross. And the reason it wasn't a fatal blow is because on the third day, he resurrected. Amen? On the third day, he became alive again. But ultimately, this man was going to crush the head of Satan. And we see that portrayed in, in Revelation where, where we see Satan cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. That was week one. It's so broad. It's funny. When you plan events, you start out really broad and get narrow. Well, we fast forwarded to, to, uh, to oh, about 1600 B.C., somewhere in there. We fast forwarded that much. And then we see this thing called the Passover. And the children of Israel have been in the land of Egypt. And, and God starts defining the story of Christmas. And he did, of all things, through a lamb. A lamb that was slain, and the blood was put on the doorpost. And when the children of Israel did that, they believed God. And God added details such as sacrifice. A little more detailed picture of the, the blood that was called for. And he added a dimension called faith. That they would believe God, the death angel would pass over. It got more narrow. And then today, even though we're still seven 700 B.C. Say 700 B.C. 
Now, now, now that's not BC like the, the headache powder your mama used to take. That is 700 years before Christ. We are starting to see an amazing focus of God's great story of Christmas. His great story of redeeming man back to himself. Now, I want, you, I want us to just pause, and I really do hope we have a large radio audience today, and then, of course, you here in the sanctuary today. I really want to make a point, because this is hugely important, because we're going to hear something that, that you almost could go, you're kidding me. And I want to make sure you understand the power of the Word of God. The first is this, what I just said. This book of Isaiah, these prophecies that we're about to refer to, starting in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, were written 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And, and we see them so well portrayed out. It's like, wow. It's like it was written like the day before Jesus was born. And ta-da, here it is. It's an amazing, incredible thing. But you've got to really get credence for the Word of God. And that happens in this. In 1947, that shepherd boy threw that rock in that cave and he heard, clink. And once in there, they go in there and they discover that in this cave were all these old scrolls. Of the Word of God. And of course it became very famous. And they excavated several caves. And they found amongst all the other fragments. And different parchments that they found. They found a copy of guess what? The book of Isaiah. And it was almost totally complete. And it was dated approximately 100 years before. The scribe had written it. 100 years before the birth of Jesus. And amazingly, here's what they found out in 1947 as they've been examining it. That the book of Isaiah they found that was written 100 years before the birth of Jesus is just like the copy you have in your hand today. Written in Hebrew, of course, but just like your word. It verifies that truly that this book we call Isaiah, in fact, this thing we call the Bible is an incredible book. It's not something some guys cooked up overnight. It has been verified by time. And so today, as we look, let's look through the lens of God, through the lens of Isaiah, and let's see this incredible story of redemption. Now, if you think about Christmas, now, now I'm going to say some foreign words, but, but when you think about Christmas, especially in this culture of America, there are several words, if you look at the societal um, celebration of Christmas, if you, I hate to use the word secular, but I will. If you look at the society and secular celebration of Christmas, you, words come to mind, like, like jingle bells. And like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. You know, and you think about Santa Claus, and you think of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and you think about Christmas tree and Christmas wreaths, and, and you think about all those different things, those different words, images come to our mind. Hey, presents, both the giving of and receiving of. That's how we think the secular picture of Christmas. And then again, I hate, because I really believe there's one world for the believer but, but in society, there's not. If, if you look at the, at the spiritual or religious side of this holiday, other words come into your mind. Um, Jesus. Manger. Two words, three kings. Shepherds. Joy. Peace. Hope. And hopefully by now, you're starting to tie in this word, Redemption. Redemption. But there's one more word, and it happens to be the first point we're going to look at today on our outline, our sermon sheet. 
And that's this incredible word called miracle. Because when you look at Isaiah's account of Christmas, written 700 years before it actually happened, it starts with a wonderful picture of a miracle. Here's what it says. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. Now, now here, let's, let's begin. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Now, I really want to be as truthful with the word and with you today as I can be. Because this, this wonderful prophecy about the birth of Jesus and the coming of the Messiah was written in the context of a guy named Ahaz who happened to be a king. And he, there were two kings against him that were going to try to take over the kingdom. Isaiah goes to Ahaz and says, hey, I got a message from God. And God says this, don't worry about those kings. I'm going to take care of it. And then so the prophet offers a sign. You want a sign from God that this is going to happen? Ahaz says, no, I don't need a sign. God says, well, we'll give you one anyway. And that's the answer here. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And in the smaller context, the word will be true to the word of God. That had to happen. Some people think it's Isaiah chapter 8. Where Isaiah goes and marries the prophetess and they have a child. But, but there's really problems with the big picture of that. Because they did name the child Emmanuel and they already had a child so it wasn't a virgin. And so it really had some complications. So it drives you to point that Isaiah 7.14 has got to be bigger than Ahaz. It's got to be bigger than a local prophecy fulfilled to a king named Ahaz. And it is. It is. Because you see, that scripture was pointing to a time when a virgin would conceive and would bear a son. And he, in fact, would be Emmanuel, God with us. Take your Bibles. Look over in Matthew and chapter 1. Now I'll be reading from the New King James. If those of you who don't have your Bibles for no problem. We've got it right here on the screen for you. Here's Matthew, the ex-tax collector's account of the birth of Jesus as he interviewed and got the account. Now the birth, verse number 18, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Here it is. After his mother Mary was betrothed, engaged... To Joseph, before they came together. So she was a virgin. I would like for you to say virgin. Now the word used here in the Greek is literally the term for a virgin. The virgin, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So she's found pregnant, but she's a virgin. Now, that's where some of you just might want to push back and say, now, wait a minute, Dwayne. Um, I, 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 that's not the way I learned it in biology class. 
But see, here's the deal, folks. That's what makes this story so incredibly powerful. Is that, that this child was not going to be any ordinary child. It was going to be the God-man. In order for that to happen, it could not have an earthly father. He could not have an earthly father and an earthly mother. God needed a womb and he found that in Mary. But God himself was the father of this child. And some of you might want to push back. And probably the reason, either as a believer today, you might say, oh, well, I'll never tell you this publicly because you know, I'm supposed to be a believer. But, but you know, that's really far-fetched, especially in today's culture. Come on. And you may be a non-believer today. And see, the problem is, is that we see God way too small. See, this is, this is those terms, Lord God, the Eternal One, the God Supreme, the God that is omnipotent, and that means all-powerful. See, too many of us today, in so many areas of our lives, we've got a Happy Meal God. See, our God fits in a neat little box. He doesn't stretch us. He doesn't call us behind our our comfort zones. He's a Happy Meal. He fits right in there real good. The only problem is, the God that I'm telling you about today is not a hot Happy Meal God. Just for the purpose of illustration, He's a Golden Corral God. Now, if you've been to Golden Corral, it come on now, it, it come on now, come on, it goes beyond a little hamburger. It, it goes beyond a small fry. It goes beyond a, a, a small Coke and a toy in a box. The God I'm talking about today, the God I'm sharing with you about is a spread of a feast. Just like at Ryan's, you can't go and eat all the food they offer. It's not humanly possible. And I'm telling you, the God I'm telling you about today is so big, you can't partake of Him and get all of Him. That's the God I'm talking about. He's no Happy Meal God. And that's why it's no problem, if you get a hold of that, for the virgin to conceive and bring forth a son. You just got to picture... Of how big God is. Now society wants to either deny him. Kill him. Or put him in a box. Your choice is what are you going to do with that information? Are you going to believe society? Or are you going to believe the word of God has proven itself through millennia? Through millennia. Well we're not done. Let's read a little further. Verse 19. Then Joseph her husband being a just man. And not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away secretly. By all rights, by Jewish law, he could have had her stoned because she was pregnant. He was not the dad. In fact, they weren't married. They were betrothed. But while he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she, in fact, will bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, which is Isaiah, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, wait a minute, Dwayne. His name was Jesus. Yes, but see, Emmanuel is a title. See, it's like, for instance, if I was, if I was talking to the Winks, Okay? And they were there, and I said, Hey, doctor! Matt and Laura would probably recognize and turn around, even though their name's not doctor. But it's a title they recognize. If I'm walking down the hallway, and I hear, Hey, preacher! I turn around because I am. 
If you're in Walmart, you, instead of saying, hey, Judy, you say, hey, Mama, 38 women are going to turn around. See, Jesus was Emmanuel, God with him, and Jesus was Jesus. He was the Savior of the world. Totally fulfilling, fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah had, give, had given. So, Joseph was not afraid then to take Mary to be his wife. But he gets bigger than that. Take your Bibles and turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In verse number 1, here's what John writes. The beloved, the one that was one of the closest disciples with Jesus. When he writes his gospel, he says this. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word was with God in the beginning. And the Word was God in the beginning. In fact, verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. In fact, John goes a step further and says this. This word, capital W, says all things were made through him, not it, because he's talking about a person, through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So this person that John is talking about is God in the flesh. Well, who was this? Well, look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this was in that song you sang. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And who is that? Say Jesus. The only begotten of the Father is Jesus. Full of grace and full of of truth. So the miracle of Christmas is that that God became flesh. Come on Baptist, God became flesh. That little baby as he was born that night whenever it was and placed that manger in him was all the fullness of God. He was God. He was God who strapped on a human Body. How amazing is that? But why? Why would Jesus, who pre-existed before the world ever was, from the beginning was God, and He was God, why? Why would God become flesh? Why would God leave that and come down here and for the rest of eternity be tied to a human body? Why did God do Christmas at all? That same author tells us, doesn't he? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, here's what's cool. Brent, I could have gone to any number of scriptures in the New Testament and talked about that. But I'm going to go back to Isaiah again. Still about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Take your Bibles. And turn to Isaiah chapter 53. It'll be on the screen in just a moment. We move from the Christmas miracle to the Christmas morning. Not M-O-R-N-I-N-G. But M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. You see, because of the horribleness of sin, 
Because God is so holy. It was planned from the beginning that that perfect blood was going to have to be shed. So 700 years, say 700 years. 700 years before the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus. We see this incredibly accurate depiction of his crucifixion. And in this, guys, we see something that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you ought to be moved today with passion. And if you're here today without Jesus Christ, it should stir your heart to say, how in the world can God love me so much? In Isaiah chapter 53, we only got time to do three verses today. But in verse number five, we'll pick it up. The Bible says there, but he was pierced because of our transgressions. He was crushed because of our iniquities. iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. The Bible had said in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin was death. Blood was going to have to be shed to pay for our sins. If you want to use that timetable, 733 years later, the perfect Son of God, the one that was born that morning of a virgin, God in the flesh, was nailed to a cross with Roman spikes piercing His hands and piercing His feet. I have been told that the Roman crucifixion is the most horrible of all deaths. In fact, most say that by the time Jesus Christ came to the cross, He was hardly recognizable as a human being. And why was He there? He was pierced because of our transgressions. Because at the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 3, a man and a woman said no to God and yes to themselves. And sin came to this world. And God, instead of walking away, provided the way that we could come back into fellowship with Him. And throughout the ages of time, spiritual genetics were passed along so that each one of us, David later on said in the Psalms, he said, Behold, I was shaped I was conceived in iniquity. It's been passed along that each one of us are born with a sinful nature. Each one of us, no matter how good, are born separated from holy God. Each one of us are born spiritually dead, condemned to a place called hell. Instead of walking away, God sent His Son with the plan being that He would be pierced because of our transgressions. Would you say our transgressions? Now, now I need to be sure you understand. You know some people that you say, yeah, boy, He needs to die for them. He died for you. I don't care how good and moral you think you are. Mr. Church member who's been a church member for 25 years and you're pretty spiritual now. You need to remember that it was your sin that caused God to send His Son Jesus to be pierced. Your jealousy and your envy and your judgmental attitude and your wrong spirit and all those different things along with all the big sins we like to call big sins. Caused Jesus Christ to be pierced. He was crushed because of our sins. 
taken over the cat of nine tails and his body scourged. So he was barely recognizable as a human being. But there's something I want you to see today. And it's going to make some of you feel very uncomfortable. But I must be true to the word of God. And I must tell you what you do not want to hear today. And I want you to look at that next phrase in verse 5. Punishment. Punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. Punishment. Friend, what are you saying? I'm trying to tell you that on that day on Calvary's cross, all the wrath of God, all the wrath of God against all the sin was poured out on his son Jesus that day. It was more than just some old rusty nails. It was more than a piece of wood formed in a cross. It was more than a cat of nine tails. It was, in fact, the wrath of God poured out on His Son so that you and I could have relationship with Him. That's why He's our propitiation. He's our atonement. It's because He received all the wrath that was due us. And every person who says yes to Jesus Christ, will never feel that wrath. But if you reject the great gift of Jesus Christ, somewhere in eternity, you will experience the full wrath of holy God. Listen to what he says. Verse 6. Why was that necessary, Dwayne? Verse 6. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord punished him. Why? For the iniquity of us all. God the Father poured this punishment, this wrath out on his son because of our sin. The song that comes to my mind, oh, what wondrous love, oh, my soul. Oh, what wondrous love, oh, my soul. That God would endure this. That Jesus would endure this. Now get ready. For me. And for you. Can I pause? Can I give you a time out for a moment? The next time you're walking through... Now, I'm talking to believers here just for a moment. Let me make that clear. Believers, the next time we're walking through life... And we come up with a temptation. We're tempted to sin against God. We say, oh, well, it don't matter. Oh, well, God will forgive me. Would you just remember what I told you today? That the wrath of God was poured out on His Son. That you could have forgiveness. And do you really want to trample underfoot that precious sacrifice? That blood of Jesus Christ. Just think about it. And that temptation comes along. Maybe it'll give you a little different motivation to say, Nah, I don't think so. I ain't quitting until I get more amens than that. Powerful. Powerful. Yeah, come on. Applaud the blood of Jesus. Applaud the blood of Jesus. See, folks, we've lost this. In our American culture, we've lost this. And we must gain it back if we're going to win this world. To Jesus Christ. He goes on and says this. Verse 7. He was oppressed 
And he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb. Like a lamb. I don't know what kind of animal it was in Genesis 3. But like the animal in Genesis 3. Like the Passover lamb. He was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep silent before her shears. He did not open his mouth. I find that pretty incredible. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I find it pretty incredible that God loved me that much. But he could have walked away. He could have made two new people. Jess just made two more. It started over again. But he didn't. Instead, he planned Christmas. Instead, he made a promise in Genesis 3. He gave us a picture in Exodus 20 and Exodus 12. And he paints a mural of the price and the cost in Isaiah 53. How incredible is that? Our last point is called Christmas morning. M-O-R-N-I-N-G. And this is what Christmas morning is all about. The people who walked in darkness, who walked in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Imagine a world encased in darkness and a light coming to shine. If you want a picture of sin, it's darkness. And into that darkness, God shone a light. The light is shining today. In this crowd, as small as it is, and on this radio audience, as large as it might be, there is a light shining today. And it's the light of Jesus Christ. And God wants to shine His light into your darkness. God wants to shine His light into your darkness. You're here today and your world's so messed up, you wonder how in the world you'll ever get out of it. God wants to shine His light into your darkness. If you're here today and you say, Dwayne, you have no idea what I have done. You have no idea the record of sin that I have amassed in these things. I'm telling you, God wants to shine His light into your darkness. And we have a choice, don't we? See, had you ever been in darkness before? And then either you flipped on the light, maybe it's the middle of the night and you're going to the restroom, and in your mind it's just dark. I mean, you've been, your bedroom's dark, the hallway's dark, and you fumble for the light switch, and you flip on the light. And instantly, what do you do? And your instinct is, turn the light off! Go back into the darkness. It hurts too much. Your pupils are dilated and too much light is flooding into your eyes and therefore your brain saying, shut it off. And now that the light has shown, that's one response. 
And I bet Satan is whispering in somebody's ear today, either on the radio or in this room today, saying, don't listen to the light. It's too painful. It's too uncomfortable. You have to stretch yourself to believe a virgin conceived. You have a choice. And you've done this. But the other choice is this. Leave the light on. And what's going to happen is your eyes adjust. Your pupils restrict. Letting, letting less light in, therefore your brain saying, okay, I can handle this. And the reward of that is I can see. And today if you're willing... Not to turn the light off. Not say, no, I'm not buying a virgin. I'm not buying the Word of God. I'm not buying, I'm not buying, I'm not buying. If you'll just take a step of faith today and believe what so many is so incredibly obvious. I mean, come on. Written 700 years before. A copy found that was dated 100 years before the birth of Jesus. And it's the same thing you hold in your hands. There is not another piece of literature that comes close. Is it possible, it's just possible, that the book you hold in your hand or the scriptures you read on the screen really are the Word of God? And it really speaks the truth? And the story of Christmas that you've heard about for three weeks is just what God said? If you'll let the light come in, if you'll resist the urge to turn the light off, you'll see life in a way you've never seen it before. You'll see life in a way that you've never seen it before. Will it be perfect, Wayne? Boy, do I wish. I guess I wish. No, we still live in this imperfect world. I found out Christians get sick just like non-Christians. And Christians die just like non-Christians. And tragedies happen just like non-Christians have tragedies. You know what the difference is? I'll never face any of that by myself. Never. Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And when the last heartbeat comes, time is over, game over, I'll be absent from the body and present with God. Well, do I have you know that? That same book that's about it itself says that. It says that when I die, I go in the presence of God Almighty. And you can have that assurance today. This time last week, I was getting ready to go to a funeral. The guy I was burying had a testimony of knowing Jesus. I don't know about the rest of the folks. But I know every funeral I do, Jesus changes Everything. And today Jesus wants to change everything in your life. If you'll just resist the urge to turn the light off, leave it on and let God's light shine into your darkness. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? In America, we've kind of taken this Jesus thing, reduced it down to a magic prayer Pray a prayer and then kind of do what you want to do. And I'm rediscovering, I really knew it all along, that it's so much more than that. 
It's a commitment to Jesus Christ. It's a commitment to following Him. Yes, it's believing that He's the Son of God. It's believing that He died, just like we read about in Isaiah 53, 700 years before He actually died. It's believing they buried Him and put Him in a grave, and third day He became alive again, and history supports that. It's believing that He's alive today to make a difference in your world. It is believing that. But it's a commitment. It's inviting Him as king to come in and take control of your life. You are going to be under new management. Jesus said this way. If any man wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself. He's got to be willing to take up his own cross. And he's got to follow me. Well, Dwayne, is it worth that? You remember how it is to be in the darkness? I know when I get up in the restroom in the middle of the night and I need that light, it may hurt for about 30 seconds, but it's worth it because I can see. And, and that, that wrath that you heard on Calvary, if the Bible's true and I believe it is, if you say no to Jesus, I'm going to do my own thing, you'll experience that wrath. Does it mean God's mean? No, He's not mean. He's holy. My goodness, God is love. That's why there's Calvary. That's why there's a Christmas. But because He's holy, He cannot ignore your unforgiven sin. So He made a way. If you're black today, African American, cool. If you're Hispanic, cool. Asian, cool. Creole, cool. Caucasian, mm-hmm. Rich, yeah. Poor, uh-huh. God doesn't care about your wealth. He doesn't care about your skin color. He just loves you a whole lot. And if you're willing to make that commitment to Christ, relationship with God can be yours. I'm still not comfortable with just having you say, okay, make that commitment or pray a prayer right there. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have Brent, my associate pastor, stand down front here. And Brent's here for one reason. He's the answer man. He's going to do one of two things. If you come today, okay, Dwayne, Brent, I, I, I heard this story. I believe it. I want to know more about it. He's either going to answer your question or he's going to hand you off to someone who can. And we're not going to tell you what the Baptists believe. We're going to tell you what the Word of God says, how you can come in a relationship with him and make a commitment to him today. It's really cool. A lot of things we don't know all the answers for, that one we can answer. And if you're willing to, then He's willing to let you see the world in a whole different way. He's willing to shine His light into your darkness. Now, I would like to pray for you today. I know we're a smaller crowd. Everybody here, you must be believers to come out a day like today. But just maybe there's someone who said, Dwayne, I'm not sure of my salvation. Not the way you described it. I, I prayed a prayer when I was 12, but I don't remember a commitment. And frankly, there's been not a lot of change in my life. I kind of live like I did before the prayer. Maybe I can just pray and ask God to give you a surety of your salvation. And maybe you're here today and you've never trusted. You know for certain you have not. I just like to pray and ask God to give you insight, to draw himself, draw you to himself today.
So here today, I'm not sure my salvation or when I ever made that commitment, but with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, just me looking and God looking, would you raise your hand just so I can pray for you this morning? Yes, God bless you. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? Yes, God bless you over here. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Amen. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And then I say, if you've got courage, I know it takes some. Come down and take Brent by the hand and say, okay, I need answers. Either for assurance, I need answers for the first time. Can you point me and can you tell me? And Brother Brent will do exactly that today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you. And this is an incredible story. This is an amazing story. This is a miraculous story we have heard today. I pray that in a different way than ever before, we have understood the crucifixion. And we imagine the wrath of God being poured out on your son so we could have forgiveness. Father, may I pray specifically for these who raised their hand. I am so grateful, Father, for their honesty today. Father, if they're doubting, if they just don't have all the answers, Father, I pray you'll give them the courage and the faith and have them come, Father, and take Brent by the hand that may get the answers they need. And Father, if one of them today has never made that commitment, and today they are separated from you, would you shine your light into their darkness that they may come into relationship with you today? And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.